Welcome to the Finance and Property Survival Guide. My name's Damien. I'm a 24-year-old from Newcastle, Australia. When I finished high school, I felt like a lot of my education left out the most important things that I needed most going forward. Stuff like getting a mortgage, budgeting for big purchases and investing were never really talked about or explained in any great detail. I want the Survival Guide to serve as the middleman for anyone looking to learn about finance and property. Each week, I'll endeavor to speak to and learn from some of those in the industry to help break down the details of the finance and property sector. So today on the show, it's our weekly uh, episode with David from Money Saver Home Loans. Um, We sat down and spoke about various things. Uh, Some of that was the debt to income ratio definition, what that means, why it's important for people looking to get a home loan. We talked about the government reissuing some first home buyer scheme uh, places, as well as ANZ looking to purchase a smaller lender uh, in an acquisition planned. So we covered that and much more on this podcast. So uh, enjoy. First thing we're going to talk about was DIR or debt to income ratio. Um, This is the one I wanted you to sort of explain to the listeners as, as like a starting point for the episode. So debt to income ratio, if you can just break down to me like what it is, um, how it works, and why it's sort of important for loans. Yeah. Mm. So a lot of banks use this, and they do a calculation, basically, of um, how much debt you have um, as a percentage of your, um, or as a calculation, um, against the amount of income you earn. So just just say, for example, you're looking to borrow $500,000, and... The, and your income's 100,000, the debt to income ratio is five. So it's 500,000 on 100,000, so the debt to income ratio is, is five. Some banks um, don't like a debt to income ratio of above six. So in order to service your loan on their calculator, um, it has to be you know, 5.99 or below. Right. Um, some banks will go to seven, some to nine, um, but it's, a, it's just a calculation that they use, a bit of a rule of thumb. That's you know, something that people can use themselves. You might look at um, how much you're looking to borrow, what you might have in car loans, credit card limits, um, personal loans, after pay, zip pay, those things. Mm. Total them all up and then divide it by your gross income and that's your debt, debt to income ratio. And so is a debt, when banks use a debt to income ratio, is it almost a sort of that's a basic way they might assess the risk involved with a loan. Yeah, or it might even be that if your DTI is above their threshold, um, it doesn't even get into, you know, they won't allow you to lodge a loan. Right. Unless um, you seek an exception because of extenuating circumstances. So you might be expecting a pay rise or you might be going to cancel some of your existing credit facilities which will bring your DTI down. Mm. So it's just something that banks use. Okay. So um, so it's similar to yeah. we've talked to before about credit score. Some banks credit score. So they might say that if you've got a credit score under a certain, it might be 500 or 600, um, they will automatically decline your application because your, credits, your credit history as, def- as, um, as per your credit score is too low. So they're just some things that the banks use. So um, you know, when, we're, when we're helping people with getting organised for finance, one of the things we ask people to do is get their credit score just so we can see what it is. So if the credit score is really low, you can 
then once we get the credit report, have a look to see why it's as low as it is. And, yeah. and that's another way they might assess a risk if they don't use debt to income as credit scores. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Um, second thing we're going to cover was the, the first home buyer re-offering. So, um, the, the Treasurer, the Assistant Treasurer and Minister for Housing announced the government's going to reissue unused um, first home loan deposit scheme guarantees from the 2019 to 2020 financial year. So, um, one of the stimulus packages that was sort of rolled out by the government to encourage some in economic stimulus, you could probably say, like, um, was the first home loan deposit scheme as a way to uh, help people that have got a low deposit getting into the housing market, right? So. Yeah. Um, nearly 2,000 guarantees were never finalised. So is that, can you explain how yeah, that works? So, so what happened is in the run-up to the last federal election, the Prime Minister announced that they would start a first home loan deposit scheme. Um, it started in January 2020, so just before the pandemic, and there were 10,000 guarantees up for grabs. And so if you had a 5% genuine savings for three months um, or you had accumulated uh, over three months you could apply for a spot on the scheme now the issue with the scheme is that in the, it started one January and there's there's normally about 120 to 130,000 first home buyers in any calendar year there was only 10,000 spots so as you can imagine 10,000 doesn't go into 120,000 so about one in 11 people was successful and the other 11 weren't. So what happened is you applied for a spot on the scheme. If you were allocated a spot, you then had a couple of months to buy a house. Right. If you didn't buy a house, some banks would let you roll it over for another 90 days. Um, so that was often racing. Um, on the 1st of July 2020, uh, 2019, sorry, there were more spots up for grabs. Um, and the, there were another, another 10,000. Now, what they've discovered is that some of those scheme spots that were allocated to people were never actually used because people didn't, um, they didn't get their, um, uh, you know, they didn't buy a property in time, they didn't decide against buying a property, might have lost their job during the, due to COVID, so they were never used. So uh, last week the government announced that they were reallocating spots and we got advice from some of the banks we deal with that um, they're, they're opening their waiting lists again. So yeah, that's something that um, people just got to keep an eye on. It's one of the good reasons of, to use a broker as well. Um, not every bank is participating in the scheme and um, uh, so as a broker we've got access to about six or seven of the lenders right. that have scheme spots and every now and then we have a client that might be interested in one and we contact those banks to see where they're at. Whereas if you go to your bank, um, you know, your bank may not um, offer a spot on the scheme. So you know, very rarely will a bank tell you that you can, you know, don't come to us for a loan, go somewhere else. Hmm. So, um, with, with, the, with the allocation of the, the ones that weren't used, so you were saying that one in 11 of the, the people that applied for the, the first home deposit scheme would have been successful, would they just revert back to the people that had applied in the in the 2020 
January area for who gets the 2,000 that are remaining or are they going to open it up and people can reapply? So what happened was um, people applied and they were on a waiting list. Um, you know, once, the, once the number of spots had been allocated, some banks allowed you to go on the waiting list and then once you were given a spot, gave you uh, um, some time to go buy a house. Okay. Other lenders said that they would only give you a spot when you'd offered so you went to them with a contract of sale. So there was a couple of different ways that different banks were looking at it. Um, what would happen is if you went through one of the bigger banks, you were put on a waiting list. Um, one of our clients was on the waiting list with a big bank for four months and got a spot just before Christmas. So what's happening now is those 2,000 spots, or it's about 1,800 to 2,000 spots, are being reissued re and people will go onto a waiting list and as people either decline spots or you people buy houses, you move up the list. Right, okay. The biggest issue with the scheme always is that there is not enough spots for everyone that wants one. Yeah. I describe it to our clients, I call it a lottery, I don't call it a scheme because you have to be lucky to get a spot. No one can tell you when you're going to get one. Um, we get a rough idea from some of the banks of how long their wait list is, and, um, but yeah, it's a lottery. Yeah, okay. Well, on to the next thing. Um, so, last week we spoke about NAB were looking to acquire this neo bank called 86400, um, and in more news coming this week, ANZ, which is another of the big fours, is um, making plans to acquire ME Bank. Um, and again, it's sort of a mixed bag of reactions whether people are happy with them trying to acquire a smaller lender or whether they're happy they're trying to acquire a smaller lender. But um, so ME Bank's based in Melbourne. It's owned by Industry Super Funds and it's been on the auction block for a while, which is something you told me earlier. Um, can you sort of explain why people might be for or against this sort of thing? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of it comes down to competition. Mm. Um, you know, recently, like NAB looking to and NAB um, owns about 18% of 86400, the, you know, it's basically a um, fintech that does um, like quick loans to specific groups, it doesn't, doesn't you know, they, they won't do a loan value over 80% and they won't lend to self-employed, so they're quite specific. Um, and you know, NAB's looking at the technology they use, which is a lot better than theirs, um, and think, so I think with NAB buying 86400, they see it as a, rather than trying to um, you know, become more tech savvy internally, it's easier to buy someone that's already done it. Yeah. So you know, the, the issue there with that one is you know, lack, the lack of comp you know, reduced competition, basically, if, they, um, if it becomes part of NAB. Um, with the ME Bank, as you mentioned, it's been um, for sale for a while. Um, ANZ looking to buy it because you know there's an extra 15 to 16, you know, 15 half billion dollars worth of loans they've got, so you know, more customers. Whether they keep it separate, um, like Westpac has done with St George and Combank's done with Bankwest, hmm. no one knows yet. Um, but yeah, the issue seems is around is around competition. People are worried about the lack of competition. Um, I'm not too sure whether the government's worried about lack of competition because they've given a really cheap funding facility mainly to the big four banks.
to lend cheap funds during COVID. And a lot of the smaller banks don't have access to that cheap funding. So mm. the big four banks' um, share of loans um, is increasing because they've got access to cheaper funding and they can offer cheaper rates, right. especially fixed rates. And um, some of the two and four year fixed rates are just uh, mental at the moment. So, okay. yeah, so that's what that one's about. Yeah, okay. Um, so the RBA met for the first time this year because they meet at the, at the beginning of every month. First Tuesday. First yeah. Tuesday of every month. Um, and they sort of decide where the cash rate's going to sit. So last year they decided to, to set it down to 0.1%, which was like a record low. And I remember you saying how crazy it was that they set it that low and that they've chosen to keep it at 0.1% um, as of meeting up on the first Tuesday. So um, the, the head of the RBA was speaking on it saying, we're not going to increase the cash rate until inflation is sustainably within 2 to 3%. Our, our goals for employment rates, um, we want the labour market to be a little tighter than it is. Uh, like We want it to improve more before we even look to raise the cash rate. Can you sort of explain what all that means? Because yeah. the inflation thing, I don't really understand. Yeah, so um, the, the Reserve Bank, for a long time now, has had a target rate for inflation of 2 to 3%. So yeah. if, if inflation's under that, they, they might drop interest rates to sort of boost it up. Um, if it's above that, they might increase interest rates. To get it back into that range, right? So they don't want really low inflation. They don't want really high inflation. They've got a target range, so um, yeah, they'll change interest rates to sort of control inflation a little bit. Um, with wages growth, um, yeah, there's no real wages growth at the moment. Um, yeah, most people are lucky to have a job, based on you know what we've been through for the last year. So, and the other thing is around unemployment. Um, unemployment still reasonably high, not as high as what people thought it would go to. So I think at the moment the Reserve Bank saying that they foresee interest rates not moving until 2024. That's how long they think it could be until we recover totally from you know, what's happened over the last year. I think the interesting thing for that is that um, when people are looking to borrow money, at the moment the fixed rates are a lot cheaper. So you should be at least talking to your bank or broker about having most of your rate fixed or all of your rate fixed. Um, you know, normally you fix your interest rate so that you know what your repayment's going to be. You can sleep at night, you know you don't have to worry. Mm. Um, but at the moment, the fixed rates across nearly every lender are a lot cheaper. So yeah. it's a, a conversation you need to have. Okay. Um, this one was interesting, it's talking about rental evictions and I had some things I wanted to say about it but we'll go through the news first. So, The, the REA president, Adrian Kelly, says it's time for COVID-19 eviction moratoriums to be removed so some, sort of, uh, some form of normality might return. Some states have ended rental eviction policies and unemployment has dropped to 6.6%. So according to the stats the percentage of COVID-19 tenants uh, impacted tenants is now less than 5% in the major cities and less than 1% in regional areas so with the economy opening up I guess the assumption is that tenants might be ready to start paying their rent again so from how I understand it the government enforced some sort of policies around giving tenants 
a break in their rent if they needed it, if they had lost their job due to COVID. A lot of renters might be people that work in hospitality and may be part of that sort of workforce that lost their jobs. So there were moratoriums in place so they could put their rent on pause. It didn't mean they didn't have to pay that eventually, but it meant that they didn't have to pay it for a few months. So people are calling for that to end when in March. Um, I just sort of wanted your thoughts on it. Yeah, so it was one of the, the measures that came around the time when the enormity of COVID was hitting and the government announced um, you know, increases to job seeker payments, um, the JobKeeper program, and um, the government was encouraging tenants and landlords, commercial and uh, residential, to talk to make sure they didn't want wholesale evictions. You know, they didn't want people being thrown out on the streets. Yeah. So there was like a moratorium, and you know the real estate institute is basically saying that we really need to um, to bring that to an end. That um, you know, we've come through the last year a lot better than everyone thought. The stimulus around JobKeeper and JobSeeker is finishing, and that. Yeah, there's a low number of tenants on those arrangements, so it's time to bring them to an end. So I think a lot of things, yeah, there's going to be a lot of, I think April and May is going to be quite interesting because if people are coming, you know, people haven't been able to pay their rent, um, you know, that's going to be an issue. We can't, you know, the REIA is saying we can't just keep putting it off and putting it off. Yeah. If people are in, um, if people are at, if people are sitting at home on JobKeeper, um, another six months of support is probably not really going to help them anyway because it might be that the job that they had could be gone forever. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just going to be an interesting time. We saw some stats from Propertyology and from SQM Research about how low the vacancy rate is at the moment and that there's a, rental, there's a shortfall of rentals. Um, so you know that's sort of playing at the moment that um, you know, it's, it's hard to buy a house at the moment because there's a lot more buyers than there are sellers or more seagulls than there are chips which we talked about a bit before um, and with rentals it's much the same you know, some of the vacancy rates I know in Newcastle it's 0.3 mm. surf coast of Victoria down here you know, talking more than 0% yeah. vacancy rate in some of the regional areas it's you know, 0.5 Sydney and Melbourne, some of the areas around there, it's still reasonably high, but at the moment, yeah, there's a, you know, there was a, a short, there was an undersupply of rentals before the pandemic, yeah. and um, with more you know, expats returning home and them, they buying properties, and um, yeah, it's just going to be an interesting time. And the, the April May, the rental eviction thing's interesting too because a few years ago, I think my perspective on rent moratoriums might have been different because. Now I sort of understand that the real estate people might be saying we need to end these eviction moratoriums because obviously a lot of the houses that people rent out are owned by other people and those people haven't had any money coming in to pay off the mortgages that they have to pay to the banks. So there's sort of a flow on effect when there's rent moratoriums in place. So if, if, if those banks aren't being as... Uh, as helpful as maybe 
you'd hope they will at the end of like a mortgage holiday you might be pushing for your your tenant to want to pay which is sort of fair like because of that flow-on effect i guess yeah yeah um last thing we we're going to cover was some um monthly stats from apra so uh for december 2020 uh, revealed that most of the major banks recorded growth among owner-occupier and investment loan portfolios. So the total residential loans and financial leases increased by $9.4 billion or 0.3% in December. And that was uh, all the big four banks recorded increases. Commonwealth Bank recorded a sharp rise in owner-occupier lending, growing from $304.6 to $307 billion in December. And ANZ continued to add growing 900 million to 262.2 billion in December 2020. So some of the banks are going all right. <laughs> I'm not really sure what else to say about that one from you. Yeah. So I, I think that just shows the demand for finance. Yeah. Um, I think we talked about a week or two ago that in December there was record numbers of home loan applications mm. and settlements. Um, at the moment, there's a lot of people trying to get approved for finance, and with some lenders, it's taking a long time. I think the key takeout for people is if you're purchasing a property, make sure your lender can meet the time frame of what you've agreed in your contract. Yeah. So if you've agreed to a five-day cooling-off period, make sure the lender that you're using can meet that time frame, because mm. most of them at the moment can't. Um, if you're going through a big, you know, direct to a um, big four bank, you might find that their turnaround time is a bit longer than that. So right. there's there's lots of people looking for finance. Um, the banks are still very keen to provide finance for good borrowers, um, but at the moment, yeah, it's 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 mental. You know, yeah. people that are applying for finance, um, and we've had some clients being approved for three or four months and can't get a property, and you know, we're saying to people, be realistic about, you know, if you're approved to spend 600, don't look at houses that are on domain or realestate.com up to 600, because we're noticing that um, places are going for well above the guide, whether that's because the guide's been placed lower than um, it should have been, or whether it's just, there's so much demand it's pushing it over it. Yeah. There's different schools of thought. Um, you know, if you're approved to spend 600, look in the high fours to hot, mid 500 range, because even if you've got four million dollars to spend, if you're looking for four and a half million dollar houses, you'll like ones you like better than the four million dollar houses. Yeah. So you've got to sure. be realistic. Um, and I think a lot of people who first home, you know, most people don't purchase property all the time, so it's new to them, and they don't know what they don't know and they're encouraged to make offers above their buying capacity so we always say get a get a broker in your corner yeah because we help people all the time buy property and know the process and can help them um, structure their offer mm. to be more acceptable right uh, if you're renting at the moment and you're on a month by month lease so you're not in a, you can leave in a month or in three months. Being flexible with when you can settle on a property is usually a good thing for a seller. Because a seller may 
want an extended settlement or they may want a quick settlement. So, you know, always think about who you're making the offer to, find out as much as you can about why the, why the people are selling um, and um, tailor your offer to meet, to meet that. But yeah, I think a lot of people just gotta be realistic about what you're gonna get. I had some clients talk, we were talking with during the week, so week four last, looking to offer on a property with a guide of $2 million um, near the beach at Newcastle in Merriweather and my advice was that the guide was probably a bit um, weird that the guide of two million dollars for a place near the beach was probably a bit on the low side mm. because places not near the beach but in the same suburb were going for high one millions mm. um, it went to auction SD and went for 2.5 so 25% above the guide yeah now we know because we know the property market we can almost tell you that that's going to happen um, so listen to the people that know I don't want to say don't waste your time yeah. but be realistic about your buying capacity and your, and your budget yeah I think it's unless you put a lot of effort in I don't think buying a house can be like a, do, a DIY thing like getting your finance, I feel like you should probably go through a broker because you're paying, like, they, it's their, it's in their interest to get you a good deal. And they know a lot of stuff because they've put a lot of time into just financial property stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like going, you always say that about going to a mechanic. If, like, I know nothing about cars. I'm not going to try and fix my car. I'm going to pay someone that knows what they're doing. It's just easier. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, um, I say that if you're a first home buyer especially, if you go to your bank and you've got 5% deposit, your bank may not offer the 5% home loan deposit scheme. Now, if they don't, they're under no obligation to tell you that they don't, that you should go elsewhere because they do not have a thing called best interest duty. Whereas if you come to a broker, a broker has a best interest duty it's a good thing mm. the broker has to act in your best interest so we can say to people you hear the different options from four or five different banks have a think about them and then let's just as we're collecting your info and getting to understand you more in a couple of weeks we'll be in a position with you to help pick the right lender mm. and the right loan yeah um, if you if you go into your bank and in half an hour walk out with a loan, I'd be very worried yeah. about whether it's the best thing for you. Yeah. Um, I think best interest duty, if I was the banks, I'd be saying I want best interest duty, if I was the banks. Like if I was in charge of one of the big banks, I'd be saying we want best interest duty and I'd be promoting that fact to say, look, will we have your best interest in mind? Because yeah. at the moment, uh, there's a lot of talk about how banks can't comply with best interest duty because they have a limited range of options bang that's a bit of slow rubbish I've ever heard mm. because if I go into a bank and say I'm worried about my repayment level and they give me a variable rate loan they have a list for my best interest mm. if I'm already one of their customers and I go in and say I want to buy an investment property um we know that cross-collateralising your properties is not a good thing because you don't want to have your 
if you already own most of one property, you don't want that tied to the new property. Hmm. You want it separate. Right. So some banks will let you have separate loans, others will try and tie them both together. If they try and tie them both together when you don't need it, that is not not necessarily in your best interest. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'd just be saying to people, be careful at the moment. Um, the market's very strong. A lot of the um, respected commentators we talk to think this could be the most, um, Australia could have another boom year. You know, where in some places, property could go up 20%. Yeah. Um, so just be wary of that. If you're approved to spend 600, Put in a realestate.com and Google, um, uh, sorry, domain, a maximum buy price of 550. Because if there's something that comes in there with a guide of 520 to 550, you're most probably going to have to pay nearly 600 for it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Did you want to plug the Facebook and that? Yeah, so I think um, a couple of things. People can listen to the podcast, um, the 24-year-old podcast which which uh, you just started which is fantastic right we're talking to the um some of the people that have you know learned a lot about property who um and, and finance who can you know tell you what what things they know now that they wish they knew which is really really good um just with us money saver home loans we're on facebook search money saver home loans of course and um, on the website, we've got some great guides, how to use a broker, first home buyers, you know, how financing or renovation. We've also got lots of great um, calculators, so you can you know, plug in different loan rates and options. You can work out your borrowing capacity, um, budgeting, all those sorts of things. And we're happy to assist anyone with um, what they need. Easy. 